Good evening. I feel like I'm on trial now. <laughs> if, if it's no good, I get, don't get invited back. It's, it's good, to, good to, to, be, to look around, and uh, it's always good to see some familiar faces, but also some unfamiliar faces, which is great. Um, and I might want to just take a moment to, to introduce so that you know who I am. My name's David, but then you knew that. Um, and uh, Val and I have been part of the church in Chipping Campbell for five and a half years. <laughs> five and a half years since uh, um, I retired from 31 years of ministry in the Anglican Church. So, uh, so somebody said to me this morning that uh, about you know, speaking, you're speaking tonight, are you, are you nervous? And I said, I've been, do you know, I've been doing it for 40 years. Yes. <laughs> I've always said, the day, the day we get up thinking we can do this is the day to stop. Because we need the, the Spirit of God upon us. Or we're, we're no one. We, we're just a clanging cymbal or a, um, a gong, whatever. Anyway, so that's me. Um, I want to just share with you a few thoughts tonight. Because uh, today, to this week, we've got... Um, one of the best days of the year. Pancake day. <laughs> Yay! Don't you just love pancake day? So it's pancake day. Um, pancake day for me is sort of just slightly behind Christmas day and Easter Sunday. But, I, but only slightly. Depends on the pancakes. Um, and this year, actually, it's double bubble because it's um, St. David's Day, the same day. So... Uh, um, which uh, comes just before St. Sylvester's Day, <laughs> which is on the 31st of, uh, of December. That's true. Anyway, I, 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 um, I digress slightly. But anyway, it is so Tuesday. It is Pancake Day on Tuesday. So that means it's Ash Wednesday on Wednesday. And so we begin Lent. And as I said, I come from uh, an Anglican background. So it would not be... Um, you would not be too surprised that I might just point you in the way of Lent uh, tonight. Um, it's that time that, as, Ash, as we begin on Ash Wednesday, we begin that walk with Jesus, um, that journey to the cross. Um, and we reflect and prepare the time to wait. Um, and it picks up those themes of, uh, of confession and repentance. It's a time uh, for some of, of restraint and sacrifice a time when some people might give something up uh, for Lent. Some people you get some sort of pleasure or indulgence. You, know, you might give up chocolate uh, for Lent. Well, maybe that's a, a bridge too far for some, Val. <laughs> um, but sometimes you, uh, you might just take something on for Lent. But whatever, it's, a, it's just that specific deliberate time of the year where we prepare ourselves, where we ready ourselves, where we have some perhaps some time of of, of self-examination to, in terms of our spiritual lives, to get them sort of re-centered, re-refixed, that we might be ready to remember and celebrate afresh the death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter. Whatever we do uh, or we're going to do is, you know, is a purely, purely personal decision. But I thought I might just take a few moments just to set the scene for us tonight by reflecting on another psalm. I've been. Uh, last time I spoke, I, I spoke on Psalm 139, so I'm doing my own little series of psalms. And 
I, I thought I would just spend some time tonight just reflecting on Psalm 51, um, which is probably a, a psalm that uh, some of you might know, um, a, time, a, a psalm that perhaps just, uh, uh, just helps us to, to centre down on some things in our lives. So if, you wanna, if you've got your Bibles with you, you want to turn to Psalm 51, otherwise I think uh, Chris is going to put the words up on the screen. Um, and on one level, you might, as we read you, you might, your heart might sink, gosh, think, gosh, this is, this is quite heavy. Um, but I hope by the end of it, we might just have some sense of, of more than just um, uh, a sense of our, our, um, our sins, if you like. Um, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. See, you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then will I, I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness." Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not, like, do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole, then balls will be offered on your altar. Father, pray that you might just bless these words to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know well, this, the book of Psalms contains all kinds of different psalms. There are some psalms of thanksgiving and praise. There are some prophetic psalms. There are some about remembrance, some about lament. And there are also some that are called the penitential psalms, of which this Psalm 51 is probably the most famous. And it's a wonderful psalm. I, I, as I was preparing, I, I, just felt I could actually preach a whole series just on this psalm uh, because it's such a, a wonderful psalm. There's such depth in it. But of course, you're not going to sit there forever, so i uh, I'm just going to throw out some, uh, uh, some thoughts as we, as we move through it. It's one that uh, uh, um, 
is, is clearly and specifically related to an event in David's life, in King David's life. We, we read right in the rubrics at the beginning of the psalm, is it's a, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And it's related specifically uh, to that um, story about, about David, Bathsheba, Uriah, and the prophet Nathan. Now, I don't want to get, partly because of time, but I don't really get into that story, but you can go home and you can read it if you uh, turn to uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Um, it's a, it's a, one of those uh, Old Testament stories that sort of um, almost has a sort of East Ender storyline to it. Um, but um, I, don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about the specifics of the situation because I think I don't want to get tied up uh, with the details because I think they might distract us a little because if we think that this is just about a story of adultery and murder, we might then try to think, actually, it's nothing to do with me then. Um, it has no sort of relation uh, to us. Uh, but, I, but I think that um, it does because... In, in the general sense, you know, we have walked the same journey with David. We walk the same journey with David. Uh, it may not be adultery and murder, but, um, but the process is the same. We are tempted. We choose to sin. We try to get away with it. We don't even think, even if we think we have, uh, even if we don't see the consequences for a long time. God convicts us because of how much he loves us. We must grieve and mourn for our sin God forgives and restores. That's, that's the sense of the psalm. It's a, it's a journey that we all make in some way, whether, whether our, we, we see that our sin is, is big or, or whether we see it as small, if, if there is such a thing um, in the sense. It's a journey uh, that we all take. And I want us to uh, just you know, not relate, as I say, not relate specifically to the details of David's uh, shortcomings. But as we begin the psalm, it begins with a a great sense of conviction. Uh, As we read the story, David has recognized with Nathan's help, uh, and he needed Nathan's help, his sin. And the psalm puts into words his deep emotions about his situation, about how he feels about himself. Deep emotions of grief and desperation as he comes to God. For forgiveness. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That's how I could probably preach just on those words um, and keep us here all night, but I won't. As we just, uh, uh, they're powerful words that we actually start to recognize and um, and, and feel some sense of the reality of sin. Rather than just the surface level of just words, we feel and we reflect on it and we just sense the depth of it, the, uh, the, the, the um, desperation of it. And that we might use those words to lead us to the cross, and to the empty tomb. That my prayer is that we might just take these words and, and just allow them to go beneath the surface for us. That we, that we then, when we arrive at that 
that day of celebration, the victory of hope over despair, of, of mercy over judgment, that we can do so with, with real power and real sense of, of God's work in our lives. David's plea for mercy is rooted in that existing relationship of love. Have mercy on me, O God, he says, according to your unfailing love. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. That's a good place to start, isn't it? It's a bit, it's the opposite, if you like, of the prodigal son who comes back convicted of his sin and says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. David starts in a different place. He doesn't plead for forgiveness out of the depth of his brokenness and out of the conviction of his sin from the perspective of an outsider. David asks for mercy according to your unfailing love. Those two words, unfailing love, it's a big concept, isn't it? Encapsulated in a single Hebrew word, the word hesed. H-S-D, Hesed. It's actually used 248 times in the Old Testament. I didn't count them, somebody else did. 248. Majority of them are in the Psalms. And our translation translates it as unfailing love. But we know that... um, there's, we always know when words are difficult to translate into English is because if you read different translations, they come up with different words. Um, the old King James Version uses the word mercy and other times uses a made-up word, loving kindness, to try and translate this word. Most translations use multiple words such as we have here, unfailing love, but it's more than that. I was reading that a Jewish rabbi tells us that our translations use hesed in a single one way rather than the reciprocal relationship. Hesed describes a mutual relationship between humanity and God. And someone else translates it as this. Hesed is the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless Constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God. So you can't just translate it with a couple of words. I'll just read that again. The consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God. That's the place where David starts this, in this mutual relational love. And he appeals to it, not from a position of strength, not from some obligation that God has to do whatever he, he tells him to do, but the plea begins in that mutuality of relationship that he has with God. We're told that David is a man after the heart of God. And it's in that relationship that he appeals and perhaps it's, it's that part that destroys David so much because he knows he's betrayed that relationship. But he doesn't stop there. He says, according to your great compassion. I say that again, the word here, compassion, is, is packed with emotion. 
The Hebrew word means, am I allowed to say this, bowels. That's the, the, the real sense of the Hebrew word, but they, they would use it not in the physical sense, but to describe the deepest place of you, the, the core of you. You know, when you say, you know, sometimes you use the phrase, I just feel it in my guts, you know. That's the compassion that God has for us. It's deep in him. The love for God that God has for us is deep in him. It's that emotion that, that we feel when, when someone that we care about is hurting deeply, when you have that ache for them. David recognizes that God feels that for him as he feels that for us. Lord, you feel it with me. My sin has made such a, real, a mess of our relationship. According to your great compassion, have mercy on me. David knows and anticipates how deeply the sin has hurt God. And because of the depth of God's love for him, he appeals and seeks God's mercy. The next three lines contain three, oh sorry, six key words, three sort of ideas, if you like. He says, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Blot out, wash away, cleanse me. Three sort of uh, senses. Uh, my, again, my commentary tells me that there, this is a there is a beautiful progression in the verbs. Not a phrase that you'd ever hear me say, so I'm quoting it. A beautiful progression in the verbs. Blot out or wipe away is where it starts. But then it goes deeper to wash away. And finally, the declaration of complete, complete cleansing. It's a bit like, you know, if you imagine that, uh, you know, you, 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 you're sitting and eating your dinner and you splashed your shirt with gravy. And the first thing you do is to try and blot it, don't you, with, with whatever while you're eating. And then, then you get some soap and run some, run some water over it and whatever. And eventually you have to take it off and put it in the washing machine. <laughs> it's that sense of progression. Now, David is, don't just blot them out. Don't just wash them away. Completely cleanse me from this stuff. I want to be clean that David is asking for. And likewise, there's a progression between the, 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 the following three words, transgressions, iniquity, sin. It gets worse as it gets deeper. They start pretty bad with transgressions, a concept of, of active, deliberate rebellion. Iniquity, the idea of, of depravity, of perversity, going beyond the action to the state that being behind it, and sin at its worst, which speaks clearly of the violation of, the, of that relationship with God. So, moving on swiftly, um, David goes on. In, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I know. My sin is always before me. It's one of those things that's simply true. We all know that, don't we? We all know that deep down there are places where we have sinned. Sometimes we bury them deep. 
You know, I, I've counseled many people over the years and prayed with many people over the years who, who found you know, things that, that happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that they buried deep. Sometimes we do that. There are secrets that are there. Sometimes things that nobody else knows about. But they're there. Many people, as I say, try to bury them down, to lock them away in that some deep inner place and pretend they don't exist. But that never works. It's always there. Verse 4, one of the most profound insights into sin that you might read, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David goes beyond excuses, far beyond deflection, far beyond minimalizing these things, far beyond rationalizing it all. This is a sin against you. I've done what is evil in your sight. Sin is against God. Whatever we do, it's against him. Now David isn't trying to say, well, actually I did. No, what I did was nothing to do with, with Bathsheba, nothing to do with Uriah. Uh, he's not saying that. He knows that he did. He knows that he hurt them. But he also knows that at the core, his rebellion, his sin, his, it's a rejection of God and of all his goodness. Sin is about taking those incredible, precious gifts of God that he's given for us to enjoy and destroying them. It's a bit like taking a, a present worth thousands of pounds that somebody who, who loves you gives to you out of love and using it for something else. Like getting a brand new car and given to you at great cost by somebody and then just driving it off the cliff and poking your tongue out at them as, as you walk away. David recognises that sin is just a rejection of the precious gifts of God, of that relationship. Against you only have I sinned. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Do you hear David's heart in his words? It's a heart of acceptance. It's a heart that says, God, yes, you're right. You're justified. You should punish me. He knows that there's only one possible verdict. So rather than fight or get angry with God or resent God or turn away, David just says, God, you're right. I've done evil in your sight. I deserve the verdict. But the heart of the gospel is that we are freed from that. As we look at it with New Testament eyes, we can see the work of God. Because of Jesus, there is no condemnation. We've been fret, set free from the, the law of sin and death. Jesus paid our penalty. We've been thinking about our sin, feeling its weight, and recognizing that God is right in his verdict, and then Jesus steps in in between us and sin and deals with it. As we prepare ourselves to look upon that cross afresh, maybe we need to do that from that perspective. We deserve this. But out of God's love, 
of God's love. Just how I could uh, wax lyrical about this this psalm um, for a, a long time. But as we move through it, there's that that wonderful sense of uh, of God's love and forgiveness coming upon David. He uses the words "cleanse, wash, wash me, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow." Two uh, two wonderful pictures. If you like, one, an Old Testament one. Uh, The hyssop was the the thing that they would use um, often in purification rites in in some of the the ceremonial sacrifices. And we know that um, in the Exodus, when they were told to sort of put the the, the blood on the, the lintels of their door, they were told to use the hyssop to do it. That's where that picture comes from. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We, we find the sort of Old Testament imagery quite difficult, the idea of blood, you know, the idea of being smeared with blood or whatever. But then there's that, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We can relate to that perhaps more clearly. Now we can think about getting up on that, that uh, winter summer morning and looking out the window when it snowed overnight. You know, and the, and the path is gone, it's covered in snow and the road is covered in snow and you know, perhaps we've had the opportunity to get up before everybody else so there's no footprints or whatever and it's just covered in it's white. Pure white. Clean, fresh, pure. That's what God does to our heart. Cleanse us. And the result is that then David begins to express joy. The, uh, the bones that were crushed rejoice. And where there was misery, there is now joy and gladness. It's expressed as something, a hope, a promise uh, of a party, of celebration, of renewal. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's a prayer of a renewed relationship, of a new place with God, about being truly, deeply uh, forgiven. This is God doing his work in Christ, changing us, cleansing us, renewing us. And whoever we are, whatever we've done, that's the heart of the promise of, of God, of this, of this psalm. And David begins to rejoice. Verse 15 is uh, one that's well known to me. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Those of us who come from that liturgical background. O oh Lord, open our lips and our mouth will declare your praise. I always used to think, because one or two churches that, um, not any church that I uh, was minister of, where I used to go and visit churches, and they used to sing, Oh Lord, open thou our lips. I think, take the, take the heart out of it. Open my lips, O oh Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. 
David is taken from this place of absolute despair when he knows that he has sinned and he has got it wrong and he has damaged his relationship with God. But as he comes to God, recognizing God's love and compassion for him and knows God's forgiveness, he says, Lord, open my lips for my mouth will declare your praise. Wonderful. You know, wouldn't it be great if we, we came through this, this, this time of Lent and, and, you know, that we could just experience something new of God's forgiveness in our lives and that when we got the Easter Sunday, in a renewed way, in a fresh way, that it won't be just some old usual, you know, Easter Sunday, he is risen, he is risen indeed. He is risen because our hearts are renewed and refreshed and cleansed because of what we know God has done in our lives. So I'm going through this at a speed and I just pray that you might spend some time reading it later and as we go through Lent that you might use it as a pattern perhaps for your own prayer times. But then David gets right to the end and, and there's, a, there's a sense of, um, so, so what now? We get a sense of what God wants of us going forward. You know, have you ever wondered what God wants of you? Have you ever cried out perhaps times of struggle to say, God, what do you want? And David says, you know, Lord, I, you don't delight in sacrifice, I will bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. He said, what you want of me, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. What does God want of you? He wants of us hearts that are broken and contrite. Hearts that say, Lord, here I am. I'm a mess. I'm not very good at this. I've made mistakes. I get things wrong. I'm not clean and shiny like I'm supposed to be. I'm completely lost without you. But I need you. And I know your love for me. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. That's what God wants. Not, not in a cruel way. Not that he would enjoy our brokenness. The opposite. He wants us broken and contrite because he knows... That's the point where we let go. And let God make it right. Let God make it new. Let God make it clean and do what only God can do in Jesus. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. As we journey through Lent, perhaps you you might want to just use this psalm daily. Words that express a sense of sin, but also express that sense of, of relationship. That relationship that took Jesus to the cross to die for us. We have words to express here to express our desperation for forgiveness and our need for clean, cleansing and newness as the reality sinks in and moves us. And we have words that express our response. 
words that for our broken and contrite hearts that affirm those as an offering in which God delights. Let's pray.